0: This is an incredible morning for us. I've been waiting for this day with joyful anticipation for years, literally. I wanted to begin uh, this study on the book of Hebrews uh, almost four years ago, and we ended up just by God's direction going another route, but he has today released me uh, to begin this study on the book of Hebrews. This is a fantastic book. I want to encourage you to open your copy of God's word to the book of Hebrews. We'll be on, uh, starting there in chapter 1. This morning, I'm not sure what page it is in the black hardback Bible in front of you, uh, but uh, best of luck to you finding it. I wish I would have uh, looked it up beforehand, but you're welcome to use the, the copy that's in front of you this morning if you'd like to. As we jump into this study of the book of Hebrews, I want to just say at the onset that we don't know who the author is, physically speaking. Now, we know that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit as all the, other co- all the other books that compose uh, the canon of Scripture, the 66 books. Uh, but uh, humanly speaking, we're not really sure. We have re- literally no idea. We have some educated guesses, but they're guesses at best. One thing we do know about the author of the book of Hebrews, uh, humanly speaking, again, is that this author, he really knew the Old Testament well. Furthermore, we can see from this book that he was smitten with the beauty of Jesus Christ. He knew the Old Testament and he was smitten with the beauty of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, he saw that Jesus was the very fulfillment of the prophecies and the pictures of the Old Testament. And finally, we know that this dear brother desired to shepherd the people of God in a practical, meaningful way. And so this sermon or this letter was written by somebody we don't know. We have an idea. It was written somewhere in between 60 or 70 A.D. and likely in, the, in, the, in, the, in Italy somewhere. We're not sure uh, much past that. Keep in mind, it, it would be encouraging, it would be interesting to know who the author was, but there's not a whole lot that can be gained, spiritually speaking, for us to know as we know who the author is or isn't. Um, and along those same lines is the recipients. Now, this particular letter was written to a group of Jews who were living in difficult days. That's one thing we do know. Now, where they were living, we're not exactly sure. This was a difficult time for them. Perhaps they were experiencing the persecution there in Rome. Maybe in Jerusalem. We know both of these places experienced great, great persecution in the first century. But just as with the author, it's not much benefit for us to be knowing who actually received this letter. We do know that we, by uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are receiving it today on the 24th of July, 2022. Many centuries later. Here's what we do know about this letter. This letter as a portion of God's revealed and inspired Scripture has been shaping the church's view of God and more specifically the person of Jesus Christ for the better portion of 2,000 years. The people of God have always been shaped by the Word of God, always. God's Word comes to God's people throughout the centuries through many prophets, but in these last days, the days that we're living in, and the last 2,000 years, God has been speaking to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been formed by his speech. We've been formed by his word. But through culture that would desire to shape the church, we spurn it and we look to the word of God that ultimately shapes us. Philosophy is trying to do the same thing. It's trying to to shape us and we turn our minds away from that and we look wholly to the word of God. Human experience would even, your personal experience would be tempting to allow you to be shaped by that but yet the word of God stands above all of these things shaping God's people not even human desire will shape us God's word shapes God's people and this my friends has been the way since the beginning in Exodus chapter 24 as Moses and the people of God the children of Israel are there gathered at the foot of the mountain Moses reads the book of the covenant He reads it in the hearing of the people. And they all said that the Lord has spoken and we will do it. We will be obedient. God's word shapes a people as this covenant people are formed there in the wilderness. After Moses' death, Joshua leads the people to renew their commitment to the Lord and to his word by reading literally the entire Pentateuch. They all gather together and they read the Pentateuch together in one sitting. The first five books of the Bible, by the way. Joshua 8, 34 and 35, it says, And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to what is written in the book of the law. And there was not one word of Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of people and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Here again we see, even after the death of Moses, the word of God shaping the people of God as it's read in their hearing. We uh, see... Throughout Israel's history, the word of God having a prominent place as it shapes and directs. But at one point in time and throughout history, the the word of God falls away. Not as if it can actually fall, but it's forgotten. It's covered in dust. Furniture is moved around it and it's completely eclipsed. And yet in the 18th year of King Josiah, 2 Kings tells us, the word of God is found. The king is informed The king gathers the people. They have a special meeting. They all gather together. And Josiah commands that every word of God be read in the hearing of the people. And that's exactly what takes place. There's a revival as a result. And then in Nehemiah, after the exile of the Jews, they return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. The people of God there are gathered and being led under the the leadership of the priest, Ezra. The word of God is brought out and all of the words of God are read in the hearing of the people. And he explains it to them. And again, a great revival takes place. This is what we see happening in the Old Testament. The word of God shaping the people of God. That's not... Only found in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we see Jesus' practice there, the Jews' practice. Jesus gathers with the people of God, he opens the Word of God, and he reads them, and then he applies them, he explains them. That's in Luke chapter 4. But then also the, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he commands the Thessalonians to read the letter there that he's written to them before all the church when they're gathered. commands them. We can be confident that that's exactly what they did. Even in Revelation chapter 1, as that great book of Revelation begins, we're told that the one who reads the letter aloud for the church, he's blessed, as well as the ones who obey it, who listen to it. And furthermore, the Apostle Paul explicitly commands the young pastors particularly Timothy, to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. Even extra-biblical, outside of what we read in the Scriptures, we see in the 2nd century, there at the very beginning of the 2nd century, we see the testimony of our dear brother, Justin Martyr, who was living in Samaria, actually Shechem. He explains what... The gathering of the saints looked like on the Lord's Day. Here's what he says. This is not scripture. This is just an article that we can see from church history in the second century. This is what he says. This dear, dear pastor. On the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country together gathered in one place. And the memoirs of the apostles, the New Testament, or the writing of the prophets are read. And as long as time permits... Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray. And so that's exactly what I intend to do this morning. What we see happening in the Old Testament, what we've been commanded to do in the New Testament, what we've seen throughout church history is devoting ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so as we consider how are we to begin our sermon series on the book of Hebrews what better way than to to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture and this morning to read the entire book in one reading and so I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's word and turn to the book of Hebrews another option is for you just to listen this letter or sermon was in fact an address to the people of God and I don't know that I've ever preached a better sermon than this in fact I know I haven't And so I want to preach the best sermon I've ever preached. Would you let me do that this morning as I read from this inspired text, the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And again, you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay attention, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with the glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing Should make the foundation of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, "'I and the children God has given me. "'Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, "'he himself likewise partook of the same thing, "'that through death he might destroy the one "'who has the power of death, that is, the devil, "'and deliver all those who through fear of death "'were subject to lifelong slavery. "'For surely it is not angels that he helps, "'but he helps the offspring of Abraham.'" Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is being built by someone, but the builder of all things is God Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take heed, brothers, lest there be any, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving Heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden it as in the rebellion. while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For God, or for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by that same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. high priest chosen from among men is appointed as on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for the the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. And so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by, whom, by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have, who ha, who, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore... Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ to go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and an instruction about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who are or for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned though we speak in this way yet in your case beloved we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation for God is not unjust so as to a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham before returning to the, from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of his everything. He is first, by translation of his name, King of righteousness, and then he is also King of Salem, that is King of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembles the Son of God. He resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And also descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers. Though these also are descendants from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the, in the, in the one case tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under uh, under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that that our uh, Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses never said anything about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number "...unstained, separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since he is enacted, it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And, as, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people." And they shall not teach, each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And that is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. In an earthly place of holiness, for a, a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It's, it's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold. in Which was, which was a golden urn holding the manna and, and Aaron's staff that budded in the, in the tables of the covenant. Or tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak now in detail. These preparations having been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people." By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this age, present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But... Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used and worshipped. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. For since the law has been but a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never By the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. Consequently, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings have you not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has such a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that that which is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, when he he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking toward the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles of the earth. For people who speak, By faith, Abraham, when he was tempted, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, was not afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, The people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets... "...whom through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release." So that they might arise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us so closely and let us run with endurance the the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, In which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by, many, by and by it many come, become defiled and that no one is sexually immoral or, or even unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched Blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a trumpet and the, trump, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they couldn't endure the order that was given. If any beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby, some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals who are burn, or who, um, animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we have the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Now, may the grace of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints to those who come from Italy, send you greetings, grace, be with you all church in these last days God has spoken to us through his son his son is better than angels he's greater than Moses he's a greater high priest of a greater covenant and through his one sacrifice he himself has secured redemption and rest for God's people He's proclaimed a gospel that we run to for refuge, for salvation. And it's a sure and steady anchor now for our souls. And though in our weakness we are drawn away, we are to hold fast. We are to encourage each other to hold fast, all while recognizing that we are not alone in our patient endurance. Before us have gone many others who believed just as we believed and they held that belief until the end. They kept their faith in God's promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so are we. We're not of those who shrink back. They knew, just as we know, that the things that this world would bring trial and tribulation, they also knew that there is a kingdom that is being prepared for us that cannot be shaken. And so, church, don't let go, don't give up. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, what a joy that we have this morning to be reminded of this great grace that has been extended to us. What joy that we have as we consider the superiority of Jesus Christ to consider the, the symbolism in this old covenant and how Jesus is so much greater in this new covenant. Father, that you have prepared for us rest. Father, would you help us to apply this great doctrine of Jesus Christ? Father, would you call us to heed the gospel in fresh ways? And would we imitate that as we call each other to hold fast and to imitate this? And these have gone that have gone before in fresh and new ways. Father would, you help us to understand in deeper, more meaningful ways, the community of faith that you have established here in Hagerstown, this group that's gathered even right now, hearing the words that you've given to us, read in our hearing? Would you help us to have a greater understanding of that? And Father, through all of these things, would you help us to hold fast, to not fall away? We can do none of these things apart from your word, read in our ears, explained for our minds, and empowered in our spirit by that great spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is even now with us. Father, we ask all of these things. We depend on you throughout this study and until you return for us. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.